Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, CorbinRosewood.com. Corbin here. I just wanted to let you know that if you want to send me an email, I absolutely love hearing from listeners. My email is hello at CorbinRosewood.com. Now on with the show. Episode 9. Mission Impossible. Welcome, I'm Corbin Rosewood, and tonight we return to a very dramatic vampire who is absolutely fine with the fact that he hasn't heard from his human boyfriend. Absolutely, totally, completely fine. Scene, Gramercy Hospital. It had now been three and a half days since he had heard from Robert. But who's counting? Victor. Victor was counting. Every hour seemed excruciatingly long and dreadfully boring. Over the last few days, he had often found himself wondering what he had even done all day before Robert was in his life. It felt like some strange before and after, two distinctly different periods in the life of Victor Nightingale. Thankfully, he had not been entirely bored these last few days, as Samson had kept him quite busy. He had been snooping around the hospital, gathering information for a few days now, and at last, it was nightfall and he was ready to break in. Victor pulled the black hood over his face and leapt up into a tree near the genetics wing of the hospital. He looked down to make sure Samson was still down below with the getaway car. The red taillights were just visible through the fog and tree branches. Victor turned back to the building. The dim lights in the roof gave it an ethereal quality in the foggy night. He leapt from one branch to the next so gracefully he would have been nearly impossible to spot, even if anyone was looking. After a few trees, he finally reached the building and landed on the roof, rolling into a crouch. He was on all fours, putting his focus into listening, making sure it was the same security team as they had seen on the nights before. It was. He heard one of them chatting with the receptionist as usual. They liked to swap stories about their kids. Once he felt it was clear, Victor began shimmying down the side of the building before carefully attempting to open a window with one hand while clinging to a drainpipe with the other. After casing the place, him and Samson had decided this would be the easiest entry point. But now, as he dangled eight floors up, he wondered what the hell they had been thinking. The wind ripped across his back, sending cold shivers down his spine, and he was starting to have a problem. The gloves he was wearing made it impossible to open this window. He just couldn't get a grip on it. He sighed and pulled the glove off with his teeth, accidentally letting it fall to the ground in the process. 
He watched the little black dot careening downwards and cursed quietly. He paused and listened, but his glove did not seem to cause anyone to notice him, so he resumed his illicit activities. His cold hands gripped the window and wrenched it open with screeching noises that made him cringe. He held his breath and listened carefully, but the coast was clear, so he pulled himself up through the window and jumped down into the office. Victor looked around the comfortable but minimal office. There was some plants, a lamp, a few file folders on the desk, some file boxes, and absolutely nothing else. He was momentarily taken aback at the stark simplicity of the office. But he quickly got to work, looking under tables and picking the locks on the desk, looking for anything that would make Henry Chomisky special enough to have a terrifying enchanted amulet around his neck the night he was murdered by magical vampires. The desk only contained pens and paper clips, the usual office supplies. The locked drawer just had a small brown envelope with some cash in it, but it only amounted to a few hundred dollars and was accompanied by a bunch of receipts suggesting it was work-related spending. Victor looked around the office in total bewilderment. Nothing about this made sense. Henry Tremiski gave every sign of being the most utterly boring human being he had ever come across, and yet ancient vampires were desperately looking into his disappearance. Victor began looking through the folders on the desk. He was starting to get worried that this was a lost cause when a phrase caught his eye. Unusual post-ritual bruising. That was odd. He picked up the file folder and scanned it quickly, always keeping his senses on high alert for security guards. This was no ordinary doctor. The documents were describing a detailed magical ritual involving a book he vaguely remembered seeing on Jin's kitchen table once. He set the folder down and picked up another one. This one described an autopsy on a werewolf. He put the folders under his arm and went to the hulking stack of file boxes. He quickly pulled the lid off one and then started looking through the files. This one had files on children and strange occurrences with the weather. Victor reached into his jacket and pulled out his phone to call Samson. We have a problem, Victor said, whispering into his burner phone, the pink sigils on it glowing faintly in the darkened office. What is it? Samson asked tensely. There's no computer, Victor said reaching into his pocket to mindlessly play with the now useless USB stick he had brought. Samson cursed. Someone beat us to clean out his office, they said. Nope, Victor replied. There's no computer, there never was. So, it's an empty office? No, there's tons of files and paperwork, boxes and boxes of them, but there's nothing that would suggest there was ever a computer here. Are you sure? Samson asked, surprised. Victor sighed. This isn't my first rodeo, Samson. I checked the dust patterns. The ficus in here is almost dead. No one has been in here for a few weeks, maybe more. And if there was a computer in here, it wasn't any time recently. Samson mumbled more curses. Another dead end? Where did he keep all his secrets? Well, not exactly a dead end, Victor replied his eyes going wide as he rifled through more papers in one of the boxes. This one included photographs of dead bodies with glowing sigils painted on them. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. It's just in boxes. Boxes? L like lock boxes? 
Samson asked. Victor laughed. Like file folder storage boxes. There's about two dozen of them. I think he was some kind of magical researcher. This place just screams super nerd. Samson was interested now. A researcher? I know some super nerds who would love to look over those boxes. We need to take them to Jin. Victor looked over at the window and then at the pile of very large and heavy boxes. How? he asked dubiously. I'm driving over, Samson said. Victor put his head out the window and watched the headlights come in across the misty parking lot until Samson's black SUV was parked directly below the window, glinting in the street lamps. Now what? Victor asked. If we throw them, the noise would be loud enough for everyone in the building to hear it. Samson sighed. It's not that hard, Victor. Just use a little extra super senses to aim the box perfectly, throw them down to me, and I'll catch them and put them in the car. It's no big deal, really. There's really only one potential problem I can foresee. What's that? Victor asked. Samson didn't reply, but they opened the door of the car and Victor instantly realized what the problem was. Samson hopped out in a cacophony of sound. They were wearing three-inch heels that clacked dramatically on the pavement, a long black shift dress, and heaps of bangles and necklaces that all clinked together like a one-person rhythm section of a brass band. Victor groaned as the sounds of Samson's highly inappropriate outfit reverberated around the echoey building. Not exactly the ideal spy outfit, Victor said. Thanks for pointing out the obvious, Samson retorted. I didn't think I'd be getting out of the car, so I dressed for my next engagement. Samson hung up the phone and stuffed it into an absolutely tiny purse slung over their shoulder. Then they bent down and hiked up their skirt, tying it into a knot so they wouldn't trip over it. Victor had to chuckle a bit as Samson attempted to open the trunk door and move stealthily towards the window, whilst their heels and jewelry made an absurdly loud ruckus. Eventually, they arrived under the window and held up their bejeweled hands with long claw-like nails up to the sky, motioning Victor to begin the throwing. Victor was more than a little skeptical about this idea, but Samson was the boss, so he turned around and grabbed the first box. The boxes were the cardboard sort, with lids unattached. This made him even more nervous, but he decided to try it anyway. He brought the box over the window, leaning his upper body out of it and focusing his senses, feeling the wind and making sure to aim it as carefully as possible at Samson's waiting hands. Victor let go, holding his breath as he watched the box careen downwards, but Samson caught it easily, not even staggering under its weight. Samson quickly moved to the trunk and put the box inside, jangling all the way. Victor was relieved and began to move a bit faster as he brought the boxes to the window and threw them down to Samson, one by one. After a few boxes, Victor thought he heard a noise that wasn't Samson's jewelry in the courtyard below. He moved to the window and saw that Samson was looking around as well. It sounded like perhaps a security guard was headed towards the door. Victor's phone vibrated. Samson had texted him. It said, we need to keep going, even if they see us. Victor didn't bother to reply. He just went back to grab another box, but a lot faster this time. Time was ticking down before the security guards found them. He ran to the window and waited for Samson's okay before throwing the box carefully down into the windy corridor. 
Samson grabbed it quickly and rushed it to the trunk, no longer even making a pretense of trying to stay quiet. The noises from within the building were getting louder. Security guards were definitely headed their way. Instead of worrying about them, Victor focused on his senses, particularly his super speed. He ran back and forth to the window with box after box, his long trench coat flapping behind him. The problem with using his vampire powers was that once he started to focus, it was hard to remember anything else. He would become lost in the movement, the motion, the dance. The more he focused on his supernatural ability, the more everything else started to fade away. Perhaps it was because of this that he didn't notice when the security guards burst out of the back door shouting with their guns drawn on Samson. Naturally, this caused Samson to turn and look at them instead of catching the box Victor had so carefully thrown. The sound of the box crashing loudly onto the roof of Samson's SUV broke Victor out of his trance. He barely had a moment to take stock of the situation with the security guards before something much more distressing caught his eye. The box had fallen on its side, spilling all the papers out across the roof of the car, and the strong winds wasted no time pulling the files out across the parking lot, the white sheets fluttering away in all directions like little ivory birds. Victor looked behind him. There was only one box left. He pulled it under his arm and went to the window. Samson was running across the courtyard to distract the security guards. They were clomping along as fast as they could in their giant heels, clutching their skirt, the security guards hot on their heels. Get the papers! Samson screamed into the night, and Victor didn't need to be told twice. He leapt out of the window, clutching the last box to his chest like it was a baby. He landed far more gracefully than the file box had on the roof of the car, his coat flapping out behind him like wings. He put the last box in the trunk and began to run, chasing after the little white dots, grabbing and leaping for them like a child chasing bubbles. He heard a gunshot, but he didn't turn around. Samson would be fine. He jumped into the air, clutching at the papers and crunching them into his fists. Soon his hands were full and he looked around for a moment, wondering what to do with all these papers, realizing the best choice was to stuff them into his shirt. Victor did not like to be so inelegant, but unfortunately, the situation demanded solutions, not aesthetics. He crammed the crumpled wads of paper into his blouse and kept going, scaling the trees and clambering over bushes to grab the adventurous files, while Samson continued to dance around the parking lot. Finally, after a good 15 minutes of this, he had collected all of them and shouted across the lot to Samson, All clear! before he ran frowning back to the SUV, his shirt puffy and bursting with wadded up paper. He was almost back to the car before he noticed the crowd. At every door and window, there was little clusters of medical staff all looking on at the shenanigans, many of them laughing and pointing, a few even taking videos with their phones. Victor pinched his nose in frustration while he waited for Samson to return. This truly had to be the most pathetic heist in history. A few moments later, Samson arrived and hopped in the driver's seat, leaving the exhausted security guards on the other side of the parking lot. Samson didn't say anything. They just revved the engine and peeled out across the parking lot, tires squealing as they rode off into the night.
Scene. Samson's car. They drove in silence for a long time. This was a car full of very unhappy vampires. Victor had spent the first portion of the drive pulling the papers out of his shirt and throwing them into the back seat with a look of total disdain on his face. Finally, he had finished and was now slowly smoking a cigarette and staring glumly out the window. Would you please at least open a window if you're going to smoke in my car, Samson said, their tone making clear just how upset they were. Whatever, Victor grumbled, opening the window half an inch. Samson handed them the car ashtray, glaring. Don't give me that look, Victor said. If you had just waited one more second to throw the box, Samson said angrily. Are you kidding me? Victor replied. My box throwing was just fine. You're the one who didn't catch it. Because someone was shooting at me, Samson retorted. You could have noticed. Maybe I was just too distracted by the sound of all your jewelry, Victor snapped back, folding his arms and puffing on his cigarette. Samson waved their hand dramatically in front of their face, as if to blow the smoke away. More likely you were distracted by not getting text back from your boy toy, Samson snapped. Victor was winding up a reply, but he was interrupted by a phone ringing. Samson reached into their tiny purse and pulled out an equally small phone, covered in glowing sigils like Victor's. Hello? They said into the phone. Victor looked out the window as Samson talked, a dark cloud of frustration building inside him. A few moments later, Samson hung up, looking even more upset than before. Two more bodies have turned up, Samson said. Drained of blood, they had burn marks around their necks in the shape of that green amulet. Fuck, Victor whispered quietly. That's not all, Samson added. They were found in your hunting spot at that park downtown. Victor looked up. Seriously? Yes, Samson said. I don't know if it's random or not, but this isn't good. The police are on high alert. They believe it's a serial killer. You'd better stay away from that park. In fact, maybe you should stop with your evening activities for a while. Or even better, for good. Excuse me, Victor said. Hunting, Victor? Really? Samson replied. It's so antiquated. I really wish you'd just grow up and drink blood bags already. You can't live on blood bags alone, Victor said petulantly. While that's technically true, you and I both know you really only need to feed on someone like once a year to not die. I mean, I like the taste of fresh blood as much as anyone, but at some point you have to acknowledge that you're just doing it for fun. Even with the memory salve, it's reckless and frankly, it's just unprofessional, Samson said. This from the person who showed up to a heist in stripper heels, Victor replied. First of all, they're Louboutins. Secondly, I already explained why that was. You know, Victor, this night sucked for me too. It would be nice if we could support each other instead of just squabbling. Oh, now you want to be friends? Victor grumbled. Samson sighed. Just because you're all wound up about some himbo doesn't mean you have to make everyone else's life miserable. This is you being nice? I'm trying at least, Samson said. 
When was the last time you were dumped? What did you do then? Maybe you can do that now. Victor turned to them, his eyes flaring in anger. You really are something else. I was not dumped, he said, raising his voice far too loud for a car. He's just taking some space, he added. Right, sorry, of course, I'm sure it's just a breather, Samson said sarcastically. To answer your question, never, Victor added. I'm sorry? Never, I've never been dumped, Victor said. Samson whistled. Well, that explains a lot. What's that supposed to mean? Victor asked sharply. I mean, that explains why you're acting like such a baby. Your ego is bruised, Samson said, turning the car into Victor's warehouse complex. That's not what this is, Victor said. Samson laughed. That's totally what this is. After all the men you've dated and kicked to the curb, now you're finally getting a taste of your own medicine, and you don't like it. I don't have a clue what you're talking about, Victor said haughtily as he got out of the car. But a true friend would support me in my time of need. Samson sighed. Not only am I your best friend, but I have supported you through a million petty dramas. Don't pretend I haven't. So maybe it's time to listen to my advice and lighten up about this whole thing. You barely knew the guy. Why don't you just, I don't know, go out and party like you usually do? Why don't you mind your own business, by master monk, Victor said. You don't even date. What would you know? Sorry for trying to help, Samson said, rolling their eyes. See you tomorrow night. Victor nodded, then hopped out of the car and slammed the door without another word. Scene. Victor's Warehouse. A few hours later, and he was still fuming. Who did Samson think they were? Trying to tell him how to live his life? He was literally hundreds of years old. He knew what he was doing by now. Victor sat on his small cot, chain-smoking cigarettes and ashing them into an empty wine bottle. The remains of his Indian takeout lay on the floor nearby and his record player was struggling to play a very, very old jazz record which Victor had purchased the week it was released. He didn't mind the crackling and scratching of the ancient vinyl, but perhaps that was because he was barely paying attention to it. He was entirely wrapped up in his thoughts. Everything in his life felt off suddenly. Samson was on him about hunting. That heist was completely off the rails. The city was under attack. Liren was lurking in the shadows. And of course, most frustrating of all, Robert was not texting him back. He had tried his best to follow Jin's advice and not text Robert, but he had eventually caved on day two. He had sent a gentle nudge text, a, a little hello. Robert had not responded. He finished his cigarette and threw the smoldering butt into the wine bottle and sat up on his small bed. He looked around the room, with its emotionless whitewashed concrete walls and haphazard piles of things. Cardboard boxes, antique chests. He started to feel weird, like he was sad or something. He remembered the look of pity on Robert's face when he looked around the warehouse, 
and he felt a sinking in his stomach, a deep ache, but he wasn't sure what it was for. He stood up dramatically. Screw you, Robert, he said aloud. He picked up the wine bottle, ready to throw it against the wall and get out some of his pent-up frustration. But as he lifted his hand, he caught a glimpse of himself in his mirror. His long, angular face with cheekbones gods would kill for, framed by delicate black hair and fierce, arresting eyes. He was confident, gorgeous, unstoppable. He lowered his hand and the bottle dropped softly to the floor. What the hell was he doing? Throwing bottles? Crying into his takeout food? He doesn't worry himself with the emotions of humans. He doesn't get caught up in petty nonsense like this. No, Victor Nightingale puts on a new black shirt, a different black trench coat, and goes out into the night to find whatever adventure comes his way. And that's exactly what he did. Scene, the city at night. Victor blazed through the city at high speed, remembering the joy of superhuman running, jumping off buildings and onto rooftops, crouching in the shadows and feeling the wind through his hair. He smiled as he made his way downtown, so high above everyone it was surprisingly quiet. He could feel the city pulsing below him, but up on the rooftops it was only him and the birds. He noticed something out of the corner of his eye, a red glow on the rooftop of a building all the way down by the docks. Unusual, but probably nothing. He paused for a moment, hanging off the side of the building on a fire escape, deciding if he should investigate the red glow, when he suddenly remembered the last time he had been hanging off the side of a building a few hours before. Oh no! The glove! He had left it behind at the hospital. In the chaos of Samson's failed catch and their daring escape, he had completely forgotten the glove. He jumped down to the pavement of a darkened alleyway and pulled out his phone. He began to text Samson, but then he paused. He remembered everything Samson had said earlier about his unprofessionalism, and he decided it wasn't worth it. Victor knew he would be blamed for the glove and Samson would make him go back and get it right now. And it would probably not be there, but the police would be and it would just be one big drama. No, he was done for the night. He'd done his job and he'd had enough of Samson and Robert for that matter. He was gonna go to his favorite bars, get completely smashed and kiss every hot person he saw, exactly like he'd planned. And so we end another episode, with Victor heading off into the night to get recklessly drunk and try to forget that Robert Zamora ever existed. Something tells me it won't be that easy.
You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost. With additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at CorwinRosewood.com. Thank you for listening.